0: Hello everyone, we have Sarah here, I'm here with Brian Williams.
1: Hello, how you doing, how you doing?
0: I'm sure everyone's doing quite well, and if not, (laughs) it's okay, because we can't hear you. (laughs) No, we want to, and we're excited, again, to jump in another conversation um, on sex and sexuality, and why sex is good news. Um, Going off our last conversation that we have at Jeremy Mast, today we're sitting down with Steve Hobbs, who you've heard Mm -hmm. before in one of our first episodes. Um, Steve is another licensed therapist who has a deep love for the Lord and a deep love for knowledge. Um, and just how to help people and get to a place um, of healing and freedom. Um, And today we wanna dive into a topic that might be a little trickier for some, um, but we hope and believe uh, is gonna be beneficial as we talk about sex and sexuality. And that topic is shame. Um, Mm
1: -hmm. So we
0: ask that you would enter this conversation with us prayerfully um, and with an open mind and just trust us with your time because we think this will be this will help us all go forward as we continue these conversations on why sex is good news
1: absolutely so here we go
0: guys thank you so much for joining us again um this is sarah here with brian williams and steve hobbs and today we're going to be jumping into a conversation around shame our last talk that we had was with Jeremy Mast and we talked over everything from masturbation to pornography and really why um, it's important to be voicing the the why behind people going to those different um, expressions of sexuality and really how do we weigh those things in our own life and jumping into today I think it's just so important to cover the topic of shame for many reasons I know um, personally, in my own life, I've seen how when we, we miss, when we miss this mark, so to speak, or we set these ideals in our life um, and shame comes in, whether it's because we've engaged in certain acts that we've been told are deemed are wrong or we've deemed them as wrong or we have this moral wrestling, it can actually lead us further away from health, away from people, away from community um, and can really start to obscure our view of healthy sexuality and healthy sex. Um, and I know this is very intertwined with um church culture, but just culture in general, and how shame can really um erode at i don't know being as jeremy has said uh, an integrated person or someone who understands what it's like to have healthy relationship so that's that's why I'm coming into this conversation kind of excited to peel back the layers of shame and hopefully help lead people to a place of of healing and freedom and understanding so thank you for that but um for you guys why why do you think it's important that we we talk about shame and how it relates to maybe our sexuality or our sexual expressions
1: so I shame shame um it's all about hiding I think I think shame leads to hiding we, we see like in the garden of eden we see that adam and eve you know they they felt um they felt the brokenness of, of their sin they felt inadequacy they felt a, a number of things and so the response um was to run to hide to disguise to defend you know adam even blames <laughs> like it, it's it's a lot of uh, feeling the weight of inadequacy or failure and being crushed by it. And so then just trying to escape and run away from it. And I think that actually hinders, um, I think that that's contrary to the gospel or what, what, what the gospel can achieve in someone's life, um, and the health that can be found. Um, in, I, I, you know, it says that Christ bore our shame, which it's like, what, how, like, <laughs> but in that, that what was shameful to us can actually become, Beautiful because he takes it on. That's such. That's like revolutionary and can bring so much freedom to people and bring healing. And so I think this shame can can really keep people from actually entering into the abundant life that Christ calls us into.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that. And when you you mentioned um, biblical shame, I, I think you you correctly. The first instance we have of shame. Uh, in the Bible is in Genesis 3. And I think, interestingly, uh, going to a point that I think is really necessary for us to go to, the difference between shame and guilt
0: mm-hmm.
2: and the importance of understanding that and the importance of understanding um, what healthy role shame and guilt can play uh, in our lives because um, there, there is, I believe, a healthy role for both of them. And I think what God does very early on in that story is to help change what Adam specifically, because he had um, experienced as shame as he changes it, what I believe is to guilt. So for example, in that story that you may be familiar with that um, Adam and Eve have gone against God's. Uh, God's command to not eat of the fruit in the tree in the middle of the garden, the, what's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve do that, and then um, I'll, just, I'll read a little bit from Genesis 3. It says, um, beginning in verse 8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? and the man answered i heard you in the garden i was afraid because i was naked so i hid and and this is really interesting because adam says that he was a he hid not because of what he had done but because he was naked Hmm. so there's no discussion of being like there we don't have a sense that being naked is bad prior to this no right Mm -hmm. it's not like god had commanded them not to be naked But for some reason, that's why he's hiding. He doesn't say, Oh, it's because I ate the fruit, or it's because my wife that you gave to me, you know, he he blames her later, gave me the fruit and and I ate it. He says, No, it's because I was naked. And I think that goes to the difference between shame and guilt. Shame is related to a person's undesirable being. Mm. Meaning, I Mm -hmm. am undesirable, I am unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Guilt is related to a person's undesirable behavior.
1: Right.
2: So it's what I have done is unacceptable. What I have done is undesirable. And that's a big difference. Because Mm -hmm. it's, it's extremely significant. Because we can't change who we are. We can't change our being. But we can change our behavior. We can't make up for who we are. Because we are always that. you know, whenever I expose who I am to you, I can't change that, but I can always change what I do, uh, to you or for you. And, and God, I think changes that very quickly in the garden because Adam says, um, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid and God's response is very important. And, and God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So immediately God goes not to your naked, but He goes to what Adam and Eve had done. So He goes from a, a focus of shame to a focus of guilt, which mm. I think is really mm. important.
0: Mm. Absolutely, no, I think that's really significant. And yeah, it's it's crazy because as you're talking, in, in you referred to this, but in Genesis two twenty five, it talks about how when man and woman were essentially like introduced to one another given to one another um it says they're both naked this man and his wife and they're not ashamed so we have this kind of direct um this parallel of like what is the design of like this unashamed nakedness and i think it's even significant to note like this has everything to do with like the body and partnership and relationship, like, we could have chose, I don't know, Lord could have created different examples, but it it is, like, the physical, visceral being, and then moving forward, what becomes divisive, almost, is where, you know, the guilt, and how he speaks towards his wife, Um, but what shame can really do to us, and I think that kind of leads into this next question of, like, so we've kind of identified what shame is, where it comes from, from a biblical worldview, um, but what does it do then to our relationships, and what does it do to even our brains at a neurochemical level?
2: So let's, let's think about what I believe are the, the purposes of shame and guilt, and then we can understand why I think God uh, makes that shift in that, biblical, in that biblical story, the first biblical story regarding shame. And also why I think he does that with us today um, from shame to guilt. So I would say shame at its best. um, And again, this is maybe strange because I think we, we tend to all think assume that shame is always a bad thing. But I, I think if it was always a bad thing, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have it right. We wouldn't, we wouldn't use it. We wouldn't make use of it in our lives. So there have to be some potential for it. Uh, to be used well if we're going to misuse it. Hmm. Uh, so I think shame is when it's at its best, it's a really a protective tool to defend against an unchanging threat. Hmm. Hmm. It's a way, it's a way of understanding a particular threat as something that's never going to change. It's something that's always going to be threatening. And therefore we're able to label that thing as always threatening, so we don't have to concern ourselves with it anymore and expend energy trying to wrestle with it.
1: Can you provide like an anecdote maybe an what anecdote that sure. would look like
2: so um, this may seem like a silly one, but let's a very practical one um, and I think shame we tend to use as um We, we tend to attach it more to a a person rather than an object. Right. But I would say, for example, um, we would tend to have a somewhat shameful view, and this is kind of a strange analogy, but, but I think I'll go with it. A strange view of poison Mm
1: -hmm.
2: or venom. Right. So, and even when I say that word poison or venom, none of us think, Oh, But he's not giving poison, he's not giving venom a a fair shot because look at all these great things about venom, right? (laughs) We instinctively know there's nothing good about venom. There's nothing good about it. And so we don't have to debate that. We just know that venom is a bad thing. It's dangerous. It can't really be used for good. And so we're going to dismiss it wholeheartedly. in that way, you know, think of the way that we sometimes talk about people um, who we find very threatening. We talk about them like they are poisonous, like they're toxic, like they're venomous, right? We'll talk about them like a snake. I mean, even Satan, for example, is is often biblically, you know, thought to be like a, a poisonous snake or a, or a serpent, right? And, um, and so we can... When, when we put that label of this, this thing or this person is, there's nothing good about them and nothing good could possibly come from them. Um, we're, I would say we're using shame, we're putting shame on them to reserve our own uh, energy resources to not have to continually reevaluate the potential of that person or thing, whether it's Satan or venom or whatever. So, for example, um, yeah. So, for example, with shame, um, as directed to an in a person, from God's perspective, you know, everyone has the potential to be reconciled to Him. Every person has the opportunity to respond to God's calling, and so, in that sense, shaming a person that God has said has the potential to be reconciled to them is, is inaccurate hmm. and not helpful because a person can change their behavior and a person is never completely defined by their past behavior, mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah. right? So Even the thief on the cross, right?
2: Even the thief on the cross, right. So, um, when we shame a person, therefore, what we're saying about them is there's no hope for you. Right. You can't change. Mm-hmm. And it's an emotion that interestingly, when we shame someone, it actually oftentimes prompts the opposite behavior that we're hoping to encourage. Right. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Because what happens is shame leads a person to believe that they can't change. There's this discomfort about who I am, um, not necessarily about what I've done, but you know what you're hoping to change in me is essentially unchangeable. It's immutable to me. It's, it's something that's a part of me. And so therefore, why should I even try to change it? If, if I am who I am and I can't change it, it to try to change that would be futile. Um, and so it leads to a sense of, of, of futility and, um, and, and can lead a person to continue to do that thing which we're trying to shame them out of.
0: Right, and I think it's interesting too, to even examine, you know, the historic narrative and contextual setting of scripture in an honor shame society, which we in the West, we know what shame is, but we'd live less by those principles and shame was often used as punishment to be separated, to be, it was like a social condemnation. We think of the story of Job, we think of, you know, even what it meant to be removed and in the East, that's also like how people conduct themselves. It is more of a death sentence, so to speak, to be shamed from your family, to be shamed from a group of people. But I think it's interesting in this context too, how we talk, Self-inflicted shame is a little bit more rampant. Maybe I'm just gonna proffer that where where we are, even in the context of what we're talking about, of misidentifying guilt and shame. So maybe mm-hmm. and maybe I'm mishearing you, but yeah, using it as when it's when it's towards not a person or not an individual, not self, it can be helpful. But is there any sense that shame can be helpful when it's applied? to a person or why is it important to separate those things because of what it can do to us interpersonally or intrapersonally?
2: So shame, I, I would, when there is an actual unchanging threat, I would say shame is helpful um, because, and I would say it's related to the emotion of fear where, where all we can do is def- fear is an emotion that we use to defend ourselves against a threat where um, we can't take any action to change the situation, all we can do is is hide mm-hmm. and so by by um, feeling that fear and and extending that shame to whatever is threatening us, we can sp- spend we can focus our resources on protecting ourselves rather than changing the situation so in any kind of situation where we are rightfully and truly overwhelmed and we don't have power to change something um having that uh, ability to shame something or, or put the even a mask of shame on something can be helpful in, in so much that it protects us i think the challenge is that we oftentimes shame things or shame people that um may seem threatening to us but but aren't really threatening to us we do it maybe out of convenience or out of discomfort uh, as a way to dismiss something that we're uncomfortable with and we prefer not to take responsibility for changing yeah
1: it's such an interesting thing like how how the how the the simplicity of using shame when there's something that is difficult or confronts us or a person that is difficult and confronts us it's easier at times or or it feels threatening in some whatever it might be it's it's easier to use shame (laughs) but not necessarily productive and this is this may maybe this is shocking to some people i'm curious what you think steve but Mm. as a father i have to be really intentional about not using shame <laughs> it it's hard it's hard not to at times when i'm tired and i am just over this <laughs> and you're being loud stop being loud <laughs> you know like like it the the way in which um you know or you hit your sister or something it's like it's it's easy to quickly be like, I'm going to withhold. I'm going to turn.
2: You have failed. You are awful.
1: <laughs> and yes. to
2: navigate that line. And and that's, and that's an important difference. You said, so those, th- those are two different statements, right? You, what you did was bad. What you, you are awful. That's right. the difference between guilt and shame right there. So um, I've, I've I have a parenting workshop that I, I give fairly frequently, and, and I talk about guilt and shame in the concepts of discipline. And I, um, what I, the distinction I help people know is that, for example, if you if you you say to your child, "You hit your brother, that was wrong," that's guilt.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: If you say to, on the other hand, "You always hit people. You're such a violent person," right, that's shame. Right.
0: Right.
1: And it's interesting how quickly we tend towards um, it it is a I've noticed as a dad, it's I actually have to wrestle myself at times away from shaming. Yeah, like not all the time, but there's times even where I'm okay. I'm aware I've learned this. I know how I want to parent. I know how I want to. Show love and i want to i want to guide him into health and and life thriving i want him to know he's loved and cherished right. um, but i also want him to to be mature and i want him to be loving and kind to other people and and but that line it's really easy to step over it and sometimes you don't even notice. but when you do then you're like oh, man <laughs> like wait sorry i'm so sorry <laughs> like, I'm right so sorry t- little two-year-old I'm really sorry. I love you. You are good. I'm glad you're my son. Right. But this is what this is what you did. And and that's not what we do as people um, who are part of this family, let's say, or
2: or whatever. Right. And I think the reason it's so easy to go there, there's there's a couple of reasons. Number one, because that might be experiences that we've had in the past being mm-hmm. shamed. And and I think we all inherently feel how powerful that, that shame is. And so it's in the short term, it may be easier to change behavior based on a sh- uh, shaming someone. Because it's so much easier to defend what I've done, but it's very hard to defend who I am, you are. right? So when we're tired as a parent or when we're angry as a spouse or a friend, or when we're afraid um, of, of some other person, it's very easy to go to a shaming stance because um, it's, it takes a lot less energy mm-hmm. um, and it tends to have a lot more initial impact, right? It, it's, a, it's a bigger caliber bullet, so to speak.
0: Right.
1: That makes so much sense, too, how I think the church we do what we've, what's been modeled for us or what's been done to us. Often we fall into that with shame. And so uh, there is that line as the church that, like, even, even to say, you know, like, that's as people who are part of this family, we don't act like that or we don't do that thing. To say that, like, we can say that to people without heaping shame but i don't think it's been modeled very often how to do that well <laughs> what's often modeled is shame and so that's then what is perpetuated it makes sense so to be a part of the family of the church we, these are the this is what it means to be a part of the family of the church and, and to be able to walk with people
2: through that right and i and i think um when we the church or not, um, cause I, the church is not the only group of people that, that shames others, uh, happens in, um, happens in politics all the time, uh, yeah. frequently, um, hap- happens in the workplace, happens, you know, where I, I would say wherever people want, one, one reason is wherever people want to have power, uh, over others, there's a tendency to want to shame because then my power is never in, um, uh, my Power is never threatened again, right? Because I mm-hmm. can so easily dismiss you as bad. Um, right. you know, and if and if we come to someone, you know, or if we're, if we're talking about what God's ideal is for us, our moral ideal, and we approach it from a shame perspective, well, all we have to do is dismiss the person, yeah. right? right. Well, well, we don't do that, those people are bad, and the conversation's done. Because why do we need to? What's the point of of debating this issue with someone who's back? That's, that's uh,
1: ridiculous. it's pointless. It's so hard to even hear like hear it voiced knowing that it's truly happened. And and to be honest there's ways in which I've done that. Oh that's so humbling. And now I, this is such an important conversation for us to talk through and for us as people who love Jesus to figure out how we do how we love people too. <laughs> and right. and perpetually have the hope that God has for them.
2: Yeah. And and the other side of that, and thank you for saying that, Brian. I uh, I appreciate your openness on that. The other side of that is if, if instead we used an approach of of guilt, not trying to guilt people, but simply saying not you are wrong, but your behavior is wrong. Then we open ourselves to disagreement and then we have to do the long, hard work of of disagreeing with someone Mm
1: -hmm. and,
2: and and debating or, or clarifying where those differences are and perhaps not coming to a clear resolution and perhaps having to live with the tension of, of not being in complete agreement with someone. Um, and that takes a really mature person to be able to do And It's a lot harder. It's a lot easier to say, "Well, oh, those people are just bad and those people are just this and, and their intentions are bad and, and, and they're evil. and And therefore, I don't have to worry about really confronting my own um, the, the possibility that that I may need to adjust my own thinking on this.
0: Right, and uh, you don't have to associate with them either. And I think nope. that's I think that's what's so important, too, and what we're talking about is, A, like, as those who proclaim the name of Jesus, like, knowing how important it is to watch how we speak about what we're calling, if we're going to call something sinner, if we're going to disagree, to not perpetuate that onto a person because that's part of our theology, right? If we believe that everyone's made in the image of God, and worthy, you know, open God is opening Himself up to everyone to say, "I'm going to receive you." That is so important because I think that's what gets ingrained. Like the church, I think hurts people more because of the rep- the human representation than who Jesus is, like who Jesus actually is, who God actually is. Um, knowing too like when we shame people we write them off in a way to say like I don't need to walk with you I don't need to be your friend like relationship takes work relationship takes disagreement but when you when you go to more of like you're saying that the approach of you know what there's guilt or there is an action that we're addressing then it is saying but I'm going to walk with you still have the ability to have a relationship with someone who you disagree with and I think that is so important and it is important to open yourself up to self-reflection and it's not to say like Mm -hmm. okay you have to like take counsel from that person or suddenly like it but it does test the integrity of what we believe and going back and saying all right like I'm going to be humble enough to to examine this and you know it will either build that area in a strong healthy way um or it may cause you to do some refining but I think that is so important And it's also inclusive. It's the inclusive nature of the gospel. It isn't this like, all right, we're just going to like reject you because we don't actually sit in that place of God where we can we can have that sort of like final absolute judgment and reject people in that way. I don't. I mean, you can correct me in my thinking and my theology. I'm open to that. But I found it to be so much more beneficial to say, you know what, I'm going to speak boldly in what I believe is truth. But there's that grace piece of. I'm still going to have a relationship with you because you're my friend and you're someone who I want to walk with and who I love dearly. And maybe my hope still is that we see that we come to an agreement on this, but I'm not going to label or see you as wrong or bad or not worthy of inclusion in the church or in the greater family of Christ.
2: And I think there's a big difference between seeing someone as wrong and seeing someone as bad. Hmm. I think that's that is the difference between guilt and shame. When we see someone as wrong, they could be guilty of being wrong or having done wrong. Right. right? But um, but if someone is bad, um, then they in not their behavior, but they themselves are bad. That's that's a statement of shame. Right. Right.
0: I think you've shame that. is.
2: Yeah, shame is really a statement of futility and hopelessness right there's there's no potential for anything different to happen other than what's already happening mm-hmm. guilt we don't usually think of it this way but guilt as opposed to shame is really a statement of potential and hope right it's you have this has been the, the case but it doesn't have to continue to be the case
1: right. mm-hmm. it's interesting too that concept of the threat that shame and threat are so connected and it makes a lot of sense because so many like you said steve in the workplace and basically in any environment in which shame we we use shame and we for uh our interactions with other people it ultimately if if you really do the work that you're talking about sarah and be contemplative about it it comes back down to they threaten you And either they threaten you, like think for some, it might be that they threaten you because they are pursuing a position you want to pursue and, or they threaten you because their excellence causes you insecurity. (laughs) You know, maybe it's in the workplace and it's like, man, that person did this or that. Like, I can't do that. Uh, Like, and so then they, you, they cause you to be insecure in some way. And so suddenly now you find ways to heap shame on them for something else or to, to drag them down. Or like you said, not having that dialogue, Sarah, being having that confrontation or manage that tension of use, as you put it, Steve, like uh, within the context of the church and, and sexuality, I think a lot of times we, uh we or people, <laughs> I don't, I shouldn't label all of us, but <laughs> like we, the, Individuals have the tendency to see um, something that they they don't want to navigate into that, or they it's easier to assign shame because it's threatening. And sometimes it's not threatening; it's threatening in what navigating it with them might cause me to do. Mm. The the threat is what am I going to have to question to enter into that. What am I? What am I unsure of about my faith, or how I'm living out things that, if I walk into discussing this with them or walking through this with them, I'm gonna have to wrestle with that. Like, like we last episode talked about masturbation, the complexity of that. We don't have to bring that word up in church, um, and it's complex. And so sometimes it's easier just to like keep shame on something, rather than because oh, then I'm gonna have to question things, and, and that sounds there's tension there, and I'm afraid I won't be able to deal with that and so it's easier just to write that person off um you know oh that's the sin they stroke i I just easier to write them off because i don't have to deal with that complex issue right right Uh,
2: right as i mentioned before shame is related to as you said brian a threat but it's a threat that i don't have that i don't believe i have any power to change right right all i can do is hide from it Guilt, on the other hand, still has to do with a threat
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and but we're responding to it differently because we feel mm-hmm. like we can change the situation and instead of that emotion being um, shame, or our um, fear th- that emotion is anger. Right. So when we can when there we perceive a threat that we believe we can change. We feel anger to make an assertive change. And so that's the big difference. Mm-hmm. That makes
1: sense in what you're saying between the potential and non-potential. One is like, there's no potential there. The other guilt actually is to is to see something as having potential. Correct.
0: Yeah. And even the factor in that of like, leaning into the work of Jesus to, to work through guilt and to cover guilt and to offer what we can't offer. I think I, getting on a more theological spiritual level which we have been but like we, sometimes in the church I know I've seen people and been overwhelmed because I'm like I can't do anything to fix that or to offer that or like either that or I play savior and I'm like well I have to convict them that this is wrong instead of understanding that if if there is guilt if there is something that it is not my job to uh, unwork all of those intricacies but lean into the power of the finished work of Jesus and say like man relationship with him or his power his his ability to bring conviction and to bring healing and bring restoration is something that we carry, but it is outside of me too like leaning into the authority and the power of God and I think that that releases a weight but it also kind of like opens this like capacity and threshold to to walk into areas that seem a little murky and trusting the guidance and the counsel of the Holy Spirit and just saying like oh, okay, this isn't something that I have to carry this weight of like I have to work to resolve this for you therefore I can walk with you as friend I can walk with you as someone who can voice truth and who can and extend grace but at that just from a personal standpoint it has kind of taken the lid off of something that has felt like pressure at times and I think we run from like threats and it's good to identify threats but also not seeing it as something that is going to overwhelm you because you are walking as an individual again through this with another individual that there is more to it because of who jesus is i think it would be different if we were talking from like just a completely like a solely secular perspective or like well there's not really hope here so i should run from this because it, it might hurt me or it might you know it might cause some exposure in me that is unhealthy
1: yeah it's interesting too how shame can be reciprocal. Where um, I I, there's one relationship I have in particular where I look back on it and um, how shame was used against me, and so I use shame against them. (laughs) I I reciprocally shamed them for shaming me,
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it
1: so fits within that like that threat that's unchanging.
2: Um, Right, because if someone sees you as inherently bad. What can you do to change that? Nothing. So it's only natural to respond in kind.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. So in in the work that I've done with people um, in counseling and working with people who have addictions and uh, and even non-addict clients, um, shame is a pretty common uh, experience for people, and. W- uh, I think the the best tool that I know of to reduce shame is is healthy relationships Mm -hmm. because shame tends to thrive in situations of isolation. Mm -hmm. Shame not only leads us to isolate ourselves, but it also, uh, once we've isolated ourselves, that isolation fosters. Shame as well. So to remove ourselves from that isolation in many ways removes um, the environment that that shame can continue. And I think what we have to know what we're stepping into though, because when we step out of that, what we real what we're realizing is that we are needing to confront the possibility that um, I need to change my perception about someone else someone else may need to change their perception about me or that I may need to change my perception on my own behavior or someone else's behavior. So instead of saying, I'm totally, uh, I'm ashamed, I'm worthless saying, well, maybe I'm not, maybe I am worthy of, of, of being loved and being cared for, but maybe this behavior really isn't healthy and maybe I'll have to do something about that. Or maybe this perspective really isn't healthy and maybe I need to do something about that. Maybe this relationship isn't healthy and and I need to really do something about that. Hmm. Also giving other people the potential to make those changes as well without shaming them, right? Just because someone else is in the process of changing something unhealthy in their life um, doesn't mean that it's helpful for me to shame them either.
0: Right no that's good it's like giving space but knowing that action is required and to not i don't put an unhealthy sense of pressure expectation around that but being encouraging in that
2: right and i and i think and, and this is a hard one um especially for people who grew up in homes that that were very shame focused I, I think ideally it's helpful for for individuals to be able to, when they are shamed, to not necessarily take that personally.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So if someone shames me, that doesn't mean that, that I need to accept that shame.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
2: and it also, going to your point, Brian, it also doesn't mean that I should shame them back it just may mean that that this is something that I need to leave up to that person to grow through. But just because someone has given me that label or that burden doesn't mean I need to continue to wear it or carry it.
0: Mm -hmm. That's really good. That's really good. And I think, I mean, I've expressed this before, but it just, it makes me think so much about instances of like feeling shamed, like either like from, the church or like in the church or by someone related to the church and then how it's so easy to then it's shame kind of like the church and say like you know what that sucks because they said I suck I'm just gonna walk away and be able to drop those labels and say I don't know like (laughs) to move forward from there and I know that's like not an easy process but it's I think it's all all too common because again it's it can be that easy fix that we think uh, is going to get people to change or change behavior act as we think we we want them to act instead of focusing on, um, them as a person and an individual. And I think it does take a lot of uh, like training and discipline to say like, okay, I'm not going to like receive this identity that someone's placed on me out of shame and be self-examining.
2: Yeah. And I think that's true. Not only for those who have felt shamed by the church, but also for the church that has has received that label of shame from others.
0: Exactly. Right?
2: Yeah. So it's easy for, you know, we we've, we hear it, I think, and we've even said it today that, you know, the church has done this wrong. The church has, sh- you know, shamed people. But let's be honest, not everyone in the church has. Yeah. yeah not absolutely. every church yeah. has.
1: Absolutely.
2: And so to be able to say, has the, ch- the, the church in general ever, uh, have people in the church ever behaved in a shameful way or ever shamed others yes but does that mean that I need to take on as a part of the church I need to be accountable for someone else's behavior no no I don't and it's not healthy for me to accept that label of well I deserve shame because other people have done this um, ha- have behaved in the sin that's not helpful either That that's, that's returning the favor and the same undesirable
1: A lot of it—it seems like a lot of uh, on both sides of that, on what you're talking about, Steve, in terms of uh, being a part of an entity that maybe has others who have perpetuated, or that receive shame for, for the way it has shamed. (laughs) Um, uh, On but there's or being somebody who has been shamed. by the, by someone from the church, or by what, what for whatever, because of same sex attraction, or because of uh, past sexual experiences, or because of um, uh, terribly even things like rape or or abortion, like be the, these things that are so hard and so sensitive. A, a way to move out of this is to is to anchor ourselves in the identity we have in the Lord and in, in who we are, what Christ says about us. Um, uh, there's just so like, I, I think of like though, in scripture, one of like the, like what comes to mind for me as one of the ultimate shame moments is David and David's great sin with Bathsheba and all of that and how Nathan comes to him and it's like, look, dude, you blew it, you know? And um, it, it it's just, it's really raw. It's very like, this is terrible. And and David's response is, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says back to David, this is Second Samuel twelve thirteen. The Lord also has put away your sin. And like, that's an identity piece to see and who, okay, but what does God say about me? But what does God say? But what, who am I and what has the Lord done for me so that I am not, I'm labeled by him, not by, by what that person says, and by the shame that person is casting upon me. I'm, I'm labeled by the Lord and, and it fits in with what you're saying of don't, we, we need to, we need to weigh what's being said and say, is there something I, I am not, I am not shameful, but maybe there's an action I'm doing. That is inappropriate that I'm guilty of. It, that I'm I've been, guilty of, right. Yeah. Like maybe there's an action that's not good here that I need to work on. But, but not letting the, the shame and guilt mix together. And, and I think the finding identity in the Lord can combat that shame so that then we can health in a healthy way Way am I guilty? <laughs> Wrestle with, am I guilty? Rather than wrestling with, am I terrible? Am I unacceptable? And like, yeah, is there action that needs to change or am I just terrible? Um, the Lord says, "No, you are redeemed and loved and valuable and made in my image, and and I, we, we have already attained many things as people who have um, entered into relationship with Christ." Um,
0: so. yeah. And to help those who haven't yet to walk with them and to extend that same theology mm-hmm. and philosophy um, to areas that we feel like we have want to move on from, mm-hmm. um, but understanding that it's not, everyone knows the identity yet and knows that. So there is, you know, we're called to to bring that, like to share that with those who do not know Christ and to be exp- that, you know, biblical term salt and light. I just think it's, it's important to break those things down as well, um, to not assume that everyone knows how to do that. And that is part of our, um, like the, the delight of like our lives in Christ is to, to walk with others and show them that same route to that identity.
2: Yeah, I think it's very difficult. These concepts are really important, but how we enact it is, is right. I think that's another episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's- um, because even as during our conversation it's uh, and this is a point you made earlier in you know at the beginning brian when you're talking about your parenting but i think for many people it's so easy to slip in and out and to see shame and guilt as interchangeable or to use them one is always connected to the other and it doesn't have to be and the hard part is it's it's more than our words right i can say something um in 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 an expression of guilt, but, but if the way I say it can come across shaming, you're shamed.
0: Yeah.
2: Right.
0: how it's received.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I, it, it, how it's given and how it's received.
0: Right.
2: You know, Mm -hmm. so it's not always, it doesn't always have to do with how I communicate it, but, but how it's received as well.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Um, So a person who's used to being shamed may take a statement of guilt as shame.
0: Right.
1: Totally.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or like you're saying, Use a statement of guilt to shame.
2: <laughs> Correct. Yeah. If there's other communication, you know, you know, extra verbal communication. You know, I could, you know, for example, if I said, um, you know, why did you take a cookie? Okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm asking. You know, I'm asking. In in some sense, that's about the guilt. You know, it's about the behavior. But if I say, why did you take that cookie? it's the same words but the emphasis is obviously on the person not
1: right? on taking the cookie not
2: on taking the cookie there's an the the taking the cookie mm. the behavior is an afterthought the person is at the forefront and it's it's it, the the underlying communication is there's something wrong with you not something wrong with your behavior
1: mm. like you said sarah um for people who are outside the church who don't have that piece of identity about who they are in the Lord. I think like what you're saying, Steve, with application, how do we apply these things? There's that nuance and going into those details is really hard and makes sense why people come to you and need one-on-one time with a therapist (laughs) (laughs) to be able to work through, okay, this is how I'm communicating. This is what I'm hearing. Um, because it is so nuanced and so specific to each person um, that they need that help to way to walk through it. Um, but so maybe pulling out a little bit from that, but if there's more, we can talk in those, in those weeds. I'd love to, I think that's really helpful. For, it's helpful for me. Um, yeah. But even to zoom out a little just for a moment to look at like people outside of the church, they may not claim the identity as, as like, Made in the image of God, having infinite value, but God still puts it on them. And as if, if we're within the church, we need to still view them that way. Yeah, we need to fight to view them that way, um, and 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 fight for them to view themselves that way as well at times.
2: Yeah, and I think the best way we can do that is by by the experience that we offer to them when when we encounter them. So just because a person is not a person of faith or a Christian doesn't mean that they're not made in God's image. They certainly are, mm-hmm. and we should. I think it's incumbent upon us, those of us who, who do have that knowledge that people are made in His image, and therefore have always have potential to be redeemed. It's incumbent upon us to treat them as such, to not mm-hmm. shame them, but to but to approach them with a spirit of openness. Not, a, not necessarily a spirit of acceptance of behavior, but a spirit of acceptance of their personhood.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And so when I can, without knowing what a person's faith is, you know, it's uh, a parent of one of my children or, or for me, a client, right? I don't know clients when they first come in. Uh, and I don't, always, I don't always work with people who are Christians. But I can give them a sense that I value who they are, even though my guess is they're coming into my office for a reason right? People don't come into my my counseling office because things are great, right? They don't come in and, and pay me a, a pretty, pretty good fee to say, boy, my life's going great. I just wanted to tell someone I ne- I've never met about it. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, right? And, and here's your check. There's an and Coming into an office like mine, there's an inherent view that we're going to encounter something undesirable about. Mm mm-hmm. Right. And so the way I, I can approach them. And I think we can all do this is, is if I approach them with a spirit of acceptance of who they are, even though, inevitably, we're going to encounter something undesirable, an undesirable behavior. Or, mm-hmm. or even um, An undesirable trait, we can have hope that that can change.
0: I think that's a great paradigm to walk out and i i love hearing the application in your work and i hope that's an encouragement to all of us you know like you said i think there's a lot more we can add to this conversation and i'll open the table if there's anything else you guys want to add but i think that could be a, a great place to end and an encouragement of this is the type of view we want to have um, and how to live it out and it's not easy but it's worth it um, and to know like you said that whether you're walking in shame or you're someone who's hoping to not perpetuate shame or to lead people out of a place of shame um, it takes viewing them their personhood and honoring that and to be able to separate those things
2: um,
0: so yeah is there anything you guys would want to add to that
2: yeah, I would say, if, if I was gonna close on something um, practical, I'd say if, if anyone out there is experiencing shame, or either from, on they realize that they see themselves as shameful, or they see themselves as putting shame on others, what I would say is, um, as going back to the story in, in Genesis chapter three, is, is if you wanna undo that, then stop hiding.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: Stop hiding yourself from other people who have, who have earned the right to start to see you, right? So you don't need to open, it's not good to open yourself up to people who you can't trust. But for people who you can realistically trust, open yourself up to speaking to them about yourself and be open to hearing from, about them as well. That's
1: a first step out of shame. That's good. I think I'd want to leave off with people as well. If if anyone, if you're walking in shame, if you if you feel the weight of shame, because maybe, uh, uh, especially in this area of sexual sin or sexual behavior or actions or thoughts, um, if if you feel the weight of shame, I just want to remind you that that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and all. All are justified freely by his grace through through Jesus Christ. Mm. All of us. That there is no, you're not lost. You're not beyond uh, health. It's not out of reach for you. Um, you're not damaged goods. You're not uh, washed up or cast aside. Yeah. Um, that's not true. That's not true.
0: That's good. That's good. Well, thank you guys so much um, for having this dialogue and sharing your insight. And I'm just so deeply grateful to get to work through these things with you two. Um, so thank you and look forward to conversations ahead. I feel like there's definitely more to talk about and we will, we will do our best to get there. Um, but thank you guys very much.
1: Yeah, thank you, Steve. Thanks, guys.
0: Bye-bye. Well, I'm so glad that we just had that conversation. Um, Brian, thank you. And um, we're so glad that Steve was a part of it, too, because we know that, as we talked about, shame is a very complex thing. And it's so important to continue forward distinguishing between not only guilt and shame, um, but to see people in their personhood versus as wrong or as um like steve said bad to just be really aware of how we in and outside the church um, are communicating shame or honor or healing um with our actions and our words combined and though it is sometimes a a tricky process that it's worth it it's worth it as followers of christ and just as people who are are meant to help restore dignity to others as jesus did
1: yeah and I think I just want to encourage everybody who's listening to, to soldier on in this topic um, on both sides of it, in, in the ways that you might be casting shame on others and, and or might tend to, or, or have been conditioned, you know, the storyline that you've grown up with um, mm. and and need to work to rewrite how you, how you deal with those things that threaten you, those people that threaten you. Um, and then on the other side, work to rewrite the storyline about narrative yeah. of who you are. Yeah. And let the truth of, of who God says you are reign supreme and fight for that. Fight for that to be um, authoritative in, in your life and in, in the way you think about yourself.
0: Absolutely. It's often what the things we tell ourselves um, that are so powerful and shape the way that we view others. Um and with that, as we want to continue to keep this conversation open and really hear from you guys and your experience, what we're going to be continuing to do, as we did last week, was just to open up um, a little bit of a Q&A. We want to have a podcast where we simply answer some of the questions that you guys have specifically about the content we've talked about. Um, we are sure there are blind spots, we are sure there are places I can use further explanation um, and without promising to ever deliver a perfect answer, we want to be able to talk about the things that are resonating with you or stirring curiosity or even frustration because this is what we hope to model in our community and in the communities of our listeners. So um, please continue to, to give us feedback and you can look for that you know, on our Instagram. We'll have some open questions where you can write us, you can email us. Um, my email is just sarah.sronski at calvarycc.org brian.williams at calvarycc.org you can find us on our website but we want to hear from you guys and we just appreciate your honesty as we try to be as honest um, as we can with you guys
1: yeah well i think talking with steve talking with jeremy we're all excited to get a chance to to respond directly to what you are asking and what this these conversations have stirred up within you. so look forward next time to a QA and a